Hello and welcome to another episode of Checkpoint, the podcast highlighting and telling the stories of influential leaders in and around the sports industry. Today, we're excited to welcome our next guest, Chucky Akobe, to the show. Chucky is a former NFL Super Bowl champion with the Pittsburgh Steelers. He's now using his unique life experiences and acquired wisdom to bring value to others who set out to do great things or want to make a change in their life. Chucky started his journey in Hampton, Connecticut and played high school football in New York before earning a full scholarship to Purdue University. Uh, he was drafted in the fifth round by the or in the 2001 draft by the Pittsburgh Steelers, where he'd go on to win a Super Bowl with the team in 2006. He also had stops with the Arizona Cardinals and Houston Texans before hanging up his cleats in 2008. Chucky's accomplishments don't stop on the football field. He's also an accomplished actor, a master NLP trainer, which stands for Neuro Linguistics Programming, which we'll hop into. And he says that learning this language is like, or excuse me, learning NLP is learning the language, the basic instructions to controlling the mind. He has his hands in many different ventures from real estate to keynote speaking, all with the common thread of just lending his perspective to help others. Chucky currently resides in Kansas City, Missouri, but for the next 45 minutes, he's here with us on Checkpoint. Chucky, my man, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Every day above ground. Every day above ground is a good day. I mean, just consider the alternative, right? I heard that. And, uh, you know, we are excited to have you on the show. Um, you know, some of our other guests have spoke so highly of you and just doing some research. Uh, man, we are excited to hear your journey, you know, where this thing started, uh, you had a crazy ride with peaks and valleys, excited to learn about what you're doing now. And then, you know, with all that experience, where you see things going. So, um, man, let's take a dive into it. we got a ton to unpack. Let's take us back to, to Chucky growing up. Um, let's start, you know, maybe high school football, high school timeline, and then uh, let's wrap from there. So who is Chucky? Well, you know, I'm... I'm originally from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, moved around, you know, came out of, you know, spent some time in Connecticut before I uh, got to high school where I went to Trinity Pauling School in, in Dutchess County, New York, just about an hour north of New York City. And, you know, what's really interesting is living kind of a nomadic childhood. You know, we I mean, just in this first couple of sentences, I've already gone from Pittsburgh to Hamden to New York. <laughs> so, you know, living kind of a nomadic childhood you know i didn't have my father at home if you will so what i ended up doing unconsciously was collecting father figures just kind of gravitating towards men who i saw as examples of what it meant to be a good man to be successful have discipline those type of things that fathers teach teach their sons and you know my attachment to coaches along the way is what really led me to decide at a very young age, about age seven, that going pro was what I was going to do. Because, you know, in those environments and being in the team, when when things at home aren't really what they should be, you know, I didn't really feel like a valued member of that tribe, if you will. Like home was, it was chaotic, but I always felt good about myself when I was with my team because I was a valued member. Not only was I a valued member, but I was kind of good at it. And, you know, I was seen as being something, a person of value, an important person within the context, even of just like a little league team, you know? Yep. And so you start to connect emotionally to that. So I guess unconsciously connected with coaches and that really what set me on the path to wanting to play sports at a higher level. Cause I knew that I felt good doing that as a child. And so as a child, my thought process was, well, if I could just do this for the rest of my life, then, you know, then I think I, I would have found my path. And sure. even though sports is sports isn't really my path, it's it's a story along the path. But yep. we'll go deeper into it as we go along. So for me, that was always the focus. You know, we moved away from Pittsburgh and I always wanted to go home. That was always a big thing for me. It's like I want to go home, I want to go home. And so there, so it was all this emotion behind that thought. I want to go home to Pittsburgh. And then it was, I had all this emotion tied to to playing sports. And it's interesting how, at, you know, if you go 15 years down the line, how that manifested into one moment. And I got to go home and go pro all at the same time. And so this gets deeper into what I'm doing now, because what most people don't realize is if you can see it, you could be it. 
If you see it, you could be it. And so yeah. even just the seven-year-old kid had this picture in his mind, and by the time he was 22, it came to be. Well, how did that happen? And that's what the basic instructions is all about. So, you know, only got one scholarship to play high school football, to play college football out of high school, and that was to Purdue. Not a bad offer. So, you know, kind of had a complex that nobody wanted me because it's not like I had a ton of people chasing me. So in the back of my mind, was like the only coach on earth that wants me is Jim Coletto, the person who gave me the scholarship to play football at Purdue. And that was my belief. I was 17. This is what I believe. So we go I went to Purdue in that first year. I redshirted. And then after that 96 season, Jim Coletto retired. He resigned. And so just imagine for a moment the level of insecurity and fear I felt about my position now. Because the only coach that believed in me is gone. And this guy, Joe Tiller, I don't know who he is. He didn't give me he didn't offer me a scholarship in Wyoming. So I got stories going on in my head, you know. So what happened was, you know, I, I was met with what I call a choice point. And I was like thinking of myself in, in a by myself meeting thinking, you know, you got, what are you going to do, kid? You can either quit or you got to make this work. And so you know, I was about 18 and, and I remember having this conversation, like, what are you going to do? Because I had ambitions. I'm going home. I'm going pro. But this is part of it. You're going to have to make this work. So. I decided I need some sort of advantage here. I need I need something. I need to know something that other people who are doing what I do, because it's a competition here. They're only going to pick so many players. So I need something that other people don't know about. I mean, it's a Big Ten. So you got Ohio State, you got Iowa, Wisconsin. Everybody's watching film. Everybody's lifting weights. Everybody's doing the same things that I'm doing. So I need something more. And that was my thought process. And I started... Uh, my search for that something more at this bookstore, this used bookstore on campus, because my thought process was there's going to be something in here that nobody knows about because this is basically I'm digging in the trash. These books nobody wanted. And I found a book in there that changed everything. And the title of that book is The Secret to Creating Your Future by Dr. Tad James. Now, it's not it's no longer in print. But. This is where everything really started for me as far as the journey through, you know, getting drafted, going home, playing the Super Bowl is this book is about was about NLP. It was about neurolinguistic programming. So this is I was 18. This is when I was first introduced to it. And there was a concept that I gained from reading this narrative that just hit me. And I just remember it hit me like a ton of bricks. I was like, so what this guy's saying is. Your entire world is actually in your mind. It's not out there. It's in here. And with this NLP stuff he's talking about, he's telling me that I can control what goes on in here. So at 18, my logic was, well, and damn, I can control the world with NLP. And so I started to integrate it into my, you know, preparation, sports performance, started using it socially, started using it academically to start to get used to to form the habits of getting my results using my mind. And long story short, Joe Tiller comes in 1997. On the 97 team, I was the only freshman starter in that group, a freshman class that included Drew Brees. Now, I'm not saying I'm better than Drew Brees. (laughs) I'm I'm not saying I'm not better than Drew Brees. I'll let you make that determination. All I'm saying is this. Once I learned to use this disc to get what I wanted, everything became easy. And that's where basic instructions come from. It's like, in reflection, what did I do to create this specific result? This exact result I saw when I was seven years old, exact result I saw when I was at Trinity Pauling in high school, exact result I saw as a 17-year-old freshman at Purdue. How did I make that happen? That's really what basic instructions is all about. And you know, what it comes down to is anybody who can learn to have the type of self-discipline to control their mind, you can literally have anything you want in this world. It doesn't matter how big it might seem or whatever story is around, you know, your specific desires or other people might say this, other people might say that. Well, they're entitled to their own interpretations or perceptions of what they see. Yeah. However, there's nobody in here but you. 
So if you control what's going on in here, you can control what's going on out there. So like a big, the, one of the big mantras that I used to adhere to as an athlete, especially, you know, at Purdue and when I was on the Steelers is I would say the mind commands, the body obeys. Mm. The mind commands, the body obeys. And so it doesn't matter, you know, I, you know, I could squat 700 pounds, I could run a 40 and five one, I could do all this stuff, but it doesn't, none of that matters. This is who's running the show. How did this is just a vessel. But so I have I, a question for you. I have a question for you before we move on, because this has been really fascinating to me, right? You, it took you going to a used bookstore and uncovering this gem to what I will call unlocking the secret, right? This is the real estate between our two ears is the most precious real estate, the most powerful muscle that we neglect. So I'm curious, why in your eyes, do we not see this talked about or implemented at a younger age in sport and have the mental conditioning be coupled with the physical conditioning to create a more holistic human? Um, are you seeing that more common now or what are your thoughts there um, as you've uncovered this sort of secret? Yeah, I know a number of NLP practitioners that do work specifically with athletes and beginning to implement a lot of this stuff. The you know the the most the most glaring example I know of is Serena Williams and the work that she's done with Tony Robbins in the past. And Tony Robbins, you know, worked with a lot of the type this this type of work doing integrative psychology and connecting sports performance with you know the functions of the mind. So the thing the thing about why isn't this introduced is it really does remind me of something that uh, Bill Cowher used to say when I was on the Steelers. And he said it to us in a different context, but it still applies. And he used to say, fellas, you don't know what you don't know. And it's what you don't know that you don't know that's running the show. So since you don't know what you don't know, how do you know what you think you do know is right? And so here's the, here's the dilemma. Here's the dilemma. The reason why it's not taught to kids earlier is because coach was never taught. Interesting. He, how you know it's like a lot of a lot of the work when I when I work with people one on one, they'll they'll and they see how simple this is to take control. They're like, damn, why did my mom never tell me? It's like because nobody told her. And you so and so the state that we're in right now, like there's almost a paradigm, right? Because with social media, there's so much connectivity. There's platforms to, um, you know, sort of bridge that gap and, and get knowledge transfer. But like, you know, we were talking about offline for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And so, um, and so, you know, I'm curious, you know, and, and we'll get to this down the road because I think this sort of bridges into where it's going. But do you see us sort of skipping that generational hurdle and now getting this mental conditioning and physical conditioning running more in parallel? Um, like, are you seeing that more happen now because of the connectivity of everybody and we just have more information at our fingertips? I think, you know, this year especially has illustrated some of the challenges that come with having so much information and in that, mm. you know, there's a lot of storylines going on. And when I say storylines, a lot of times people will jump to what's going on, the, the media narrative. But when I say storylines, recognize this. Each one of us is living our own movie in which we are the star, we are the lead actor, we are Meryl Streep or Robert De Niro or whatever. We're the lead, we're the director, we're the producer, we're the casting director, because we get to decide who plays what role in this movie. And we're the cameraman, because everything's happening from our perspective. So. There's a lot of storylines. There's billions of them going on on the planet because everybody's running their own movie. Every movie's different. You know, I grew up with with two brothers, two sisters, five of us. There's five different movies going on in one house. You see what I mean? Yeah, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. I, this is uh, this this is really really interesting. Keep rapping. I, I'm liking where you're going here. You know, so it's like. Right now, with where the world is, it's all about what story am I telling myself about what I'm experiencing? What story am I telling myself 
about what all this is happening around me. Oh, excuse me. What all this is happening around me. What what does it mean? Because most people don't understand. Whatever life is, whatever you say it is. So if you say if, if somebody comes to me and tells me a sob story and tells me life sucks, I really can't argue with them because I'm not because I'm not behind their eyes. I'm not feeling their pain. So I, if they say life sucks, well then your movie sucks, is what you're telling me. Yep. You know, but it, it's all about recognizing that even when you see these, the, a lot of the stuff that's going on in the world, the the division, the, the you know the challenges economically. That we're all, you know, wearing masks and, and having to huddle inside and all this stuff. Listen, man, you can look at it because it feels negative in this moment. The trouble is, you believe that story. But here's the thing: everything in the everything in this world is is a dichotomy. We have day, we got night. We got man, we got woman. You know, we got up, we got down, hot and cold. Yep. So, all these negative things that we're experiencing right now what's the opposite side of the dichotomy because those things could not exist in a negative form if there wasn't a positive tie to it so everything that you see happening is just it, the story right now that's being told is just the negative half of the dichotomy but what if what if these are just the growing pains of the human race Oh, I love where this is going. And and that is it, right? Because it is all, you know, as we bring folks on like yourself that have experienced success um, in multiple arenas of life, one of the through lines, Chucky, is the ability to embrace change. And change is not always negative, right? And, and so I think as you mentally condition yourself and you go through these, you know, uh, life events that we're going to, you know, continue to hear your journey, you compound those experiences, right? And as you build that Rolodex or as you build that, that Jenga tower, mm -hmm. when you're met with adversity and change, you don't have to go all the way back down to ground zero and build up. You, you've already have all of these things to pull on. And so, um, and so I'm really excited to get to, to the part of the conversation where the converse or where we talk about where we see things going um, mm -hmm. because that intersection of human race and, and the evolution, I think is spot on. Um, but let's go back because I still think there's something to unpack there from your your days in sport, your days um, after sport that really build you up to be where you're at now. So so I'm curious. We talk a little bit about you at Purdue. You start to wind down your career there and your dream is on the horizon. Put me in your shoes as you've been developing physically and mentally of what it was like through that journey. Well, you know, you know, going thinking about when I was, when I knew that I'm going to more than likely be drafted in the NFL. Obviously didn't, didn't know I was going to Pittsburgh until it happened, but the whole entire shift, it really started with that moment in 97 when I discovered NLP and started to work on my mind more. And it was really private about it. I didn't tell my coaches, didn't tell my teammates, didn't tell my mom. This was my secret. This was like, you know, my secret sauce. And it's, it was like being on steroids without being on steroids. That's the way I looked at it. It's like, I don't need wow. that. I'll just, I'll just, instead of working on making this bigger, why don't I just make this stronger so that this can make this bigger. And that was my whole process. So that goes back to like really finding out about this integrative psychology work. But I got to give a lot of credit to Joe Tiller because when I, when he, when I first met him, that's when he just switched the mentality of Purdue. Where in '96 we were three and eight. Well, his first year in '97 we were nine and three. And the thing is, in '96 that was like the 12th consecutive losing season at Purdue. And so you know, Purdue is a, essentially seen the narrative around Purdue football is Purdue's a bottom feeder. You know, we yeah. were you know because Big Ten, Michigan, Ohio State, all that. So we were bottom feeders, and that would that had basically been the case for the last decade plus. So Joe Tiller comes in and people are thinking, oh, it's going to take this guy years to turn this program around. Well, that's your story. And so this, this was the attitude that he brought. That's your story. Yeah. What if, what if, just imagine for a moment, 
if these guys that are here, Purdue, the same guys from 96, same guy, let's just imagine that they believed that they were better. They just believed it. Just believe that, hmm, I play in the same conference as Ohio State. So I guess we're, you know, if we win as many games as they typically win, then we would be rewarded in the same way. Now, just what if, what if we could figure out a way to just win now with what we got? Let's become resourceful and let's believe that we're different than what they say we are. And so 97, there was a shift. Purdue, all of a sudden, we went from being second to last and second, we finished the season in second place. The four years I started under Joe Tiller, we never came in less than second place. Wow. And in, in, in my senior year, we were crowned Big Ten champions only for the second time since 1887. And it all and, and that whole dynamic, that shift. That's that's what really opened my eyes to, to everything. It's like all Coach Tiller did was come in and be like, "No, you write your own story." You decide- did. You feel was he speaking your language though? Like, I mean, you got to feel like, man, this transition. I might be sitting down in the dumps, or I don't know. And then you read this book, and then Joe comes in. Did you feel like an instant connection with him, or what was that relationship there with the coach? Well, Coach Tiller is such – he was such a, a psychological guy. He likes to play head games. He knows when to push. No one wants to pull off. And the thing is, it's a story that he told that that really blew my mind. When it was right around that time, I was 18, and this guy was coming in. He was new coach and all this stuff. And he's all of a sudden starts talking about the Wizard of Oz. And I'm like, the heck is this dude talking about? <laughs> We all we all know the wizard about. We all know the story, but maybe you just never thought of it like this, the way that he told it to us. And he said, you know, Dorothy is in a crisis. All of a sudden, everything's in vivid color now, right? She's surrounded by all these men that are shorter than her. She thinks she's having that nightmare again. And there's this lady, and why does her face look like that? Her attitude that is not working for me. You know what? I just want to go home. I just want to go home. I don't want any of this. I don't need any of this. I just want to go home. Now, Dorothy, believing that she herself didn't have the ability to get that result, go home, she starts asking everybody, what should I do? Where should I go? Follow the yellow brick road. Go see the wizard. I promise you, there's anybody that can get you what you need. This is the guy. This is the guy that can get you exactly what you need. Go see the wizard, and he will make your situation better. So thinking to herself, well, I guess I don't have a choice. She heads down Yellow Brick Road. Now, on this trip, we met the three characters, right? The first one doesn't think he's smart enough. The second one doesn't think he's tough enough or has the heart. And the third one doesn't think he's got the courage. And with this thinking, they head down the Yellow Brick Road, overcoming all kinds of obstacles to get to what we believe is the solution, somebody else to solve my problem. We get to the wizard only to find out what. He can't help you. Can't do it. Yep. He got problems of his own. Now, Dorothy's sitting here thinking to herself, well, how am I going to get home? If he's not going to, what am I going to do? How am I going to get back to, how am I going to get the result I want here? This isn't fair. I guess I'm just screwed. But let's round it. Let's rewind for a minute. Why was, why was this the lady with the green skin? What, what was her attitude all about? She wanted those shoes. And Dorothy recognized she had the shoes the entire time down the yellow brick road. But it wasn't until somebody gave her the basic instructions of how it works that she realized how easy it is to be, do, and have exactly what she wants. And so Coach Tiller told us this. He's like, listen, you want to be Big Ten champs, just make the decision now that that's who you are. And tooth and nail, we fought with that belief that this is who we are. And just like that, from 96 to 97, the narrative around this, this, uh, the narrative, the narrative around this logo changed. It changed just because we changed our belief. We talk so much about culture. And, you know, we talk about it in the workplace. We talk about it in the house. We talk about it on sports teams. 
And I think a lot of people um, don't understand that the culture starts with you, right? And then once you take control of your actions and you can organically, you know, reach one and teach one, now this thing starts to spread like wildfire. And I think that's really powerful when you talk about, you know, taking a team that was a losing team and spinning it around on its head and over the four years creating a winning culture. Um, I can only relate a little bit. You know, I started the program at South Alabama, so I inherited a blank slate. And I don't know which one's a little bit more difficult, where at least you say, hey, I know the negative over here. So it's like, I don't want to be down in the dumps or have another losing season. Whereas we were like, I don't know what the hell to do. You know, like we're just all trying up, you know, showing up, trying to make our own identity. Um, but very similar story to you. You know, if you're able to get that story and have everybody buy in, you realize that the team, the collective is bigger than just you. Right. And so um, so really interesting hearing that perspective. And, you know, I don't think that there's any coincidence that as you now move over into your pro days, that you start to experience that winning culture around you as well, right? So Pittsburgh, you come on, and I mean, you have a supporting cast around, you know, you got Bill as your coach, you got Ben, you got Troy, you got all kinds of, you know, Ike Taylor, everybody on that team. When you when you got to Pittsburgh, you're living your dream now. What was it like going from that Boilermaker culture now to the pros? Well, it's, it's not much really changed from my perspective. It, it was just like, the next chapter of the same story. Like to me, I was the same, I had already decided who I was, you know? And, and that's a big thing is most people don't really think about it like this, but you recognize that what I'm saying is actually common sense. Yep. You have to become an NFL player first if you want to get drafted. So here's the thing is I was already an NFL player here before that that's what gave me the opportunity to be in Pittsburgh. So when I got there, a lot of the mentality, a lot of the the discipline, the, the mental disciplines, the, the physical disciplines, a lot of those things I already was running those scripts in my mind. And so it, that's what made it I don't want to say easy, but it made it a smoother transition. You know, I was prepared. I've been waiting my whole life for this. Yeah. As opposed to thinking about the pressures, like if you start thinking about the pressure of your circumstance, I mean, your head will explode. If you start thinking about, oh, what if this and what if that, and you can start telling yourself stories about reasons why you're not going to make it or why you can't. And to me, I just didn't have that in me anymore, especially after playing for Coach Tiller and playing with Drew. Like that was just gone, you know? Yeah. So, so, you know, the transition into the NFL, one of the beautiful things about playing with the people who I've had the the privilege of being on the same team with is just like a front row seat to see how people who now when you think back at just some of the names that you mentioned, you know, why were they so good? What made them different than other safeties? What made them different than other coaches? And I had a front row seat to just watch them be them. And so a lot of a lot of you know the mental strategies, the approaches, the attitudes. You know, those are some of the most valuable things that I gained, you know, playing for Russ Grimm as my offensive line coach, you know, three-time Super Bowl champion, Hall of Fame, you know, and every day, every day for six years, you know. Wow. And so it's, it's really more, it's, it's, there's so much more that you gain than just, oh, this guy was really good or, oh, this guy had a strong arm. It's like, yeah, but why? You know what I mean? Is this? Yeah, no. That's that's what that's the things that I gained the most from those experiences, and from you know learning the discipline I learned in high school with Trinity Pauling and, and, and the approach and the attitude that Joe Tiller taught us at Purdue, and then just being myself, my passion and my drive to be a professional and to be home, it was like the perfect storm. It's so cool. And, and I, I think you can speak things into existence where thoughts go, energy flows. I mean, there's a ton of, you know, little sayings that that hold true. And it's no coincidence that you landed back in Pittsburgh with the cast that was around you. Mm -hmm. And I would be remiss without asking, just as a former football player, um, put me in the shoes of the 2006 season. Um, you know, let's talk through that just a little bit, because. Did you know there was something special about that year? Did you have that feeling that you were going to win the Super Bowl? 
what was that what was that season like for you it's it's so funny because in sports in every season and every sport i don't care if you're talking about australian rugby or premier league soccer it doesn't matter every sport there's storylines but as history goes on we remember who the champ was we remember what our favorite team did but some of these storylines get lost and there's a storyline from that season that most people when they think oh steelers won a super bowl in 2005, 2006 Super Bowl, they forget how that all came together. See, the thing is, the year before, 2004, we were 15 and one. That was Ben's rookie year. We're 15 and one. We won. We lost that one game. We lost in week two. So we were just winning every week, winning, winning, winning. And then we lost to the Patriots in the AFC Championship. So coming into that 2005 season, we were the favorites. We were supposed to, so that's the way it looked going into the season. Like Pittsburgh should be the top AFC team. They were the top AFC team last year. They're probably going to be the favorites. Great. So we go in there. We're thinking that we have a confidence. We just, you know, won 15 games in the regular season last year. So we're feeling pretty confident. But here's what happened. About midway through the season, we lost three straight games. We were six and five. And the, the position we were in, if we lost one more game, period, we mathematically could not make the playoffs. So all of a sudden, the playoffs start now in week 12. Because if you lose, we're done. Do or die every week. If we lose, we are done. We're not going yep. to the playoffs. So we had to win the last five games just to, just to be the sixth seed, which we were. We had, we had to win five straight to be the last team in the AFCN. Then we're still in. So then now, so, boom, so we make it. We won the five games. It wasn't easy. They weren't blowouts. We won. And now we got to face the number three seed in the AFC. And if we beat them, then we got to face the number one seed. And then maybe if we happen to beat them, then we got to play the number two. We gotta play one, two, the three top teams in our conference. We gotta beat them on the road just to get to the Super Bowl. Yep. This is the story, man. It's like, and we were the first team, the first six seed to win the Super Bowl. Wow. And do you think that you know, like, I mean, one of Pat Riley's, you know, he said the playoffs don't begin until you know you lose a game and then you're really in it. You know, when you guys were back against the wall and you played those five games in the regular season that were essentially playoff games for you guys, um, you think that was sort of the momentum that you needed going into that off season where you guys were already primed and are playing playoff football already? I, you know, to me, that's where you know we talk about all the stuff that's going on in the world. You know. In that situation, you lose three games in a row. Losing one game hurts. Now, when you start to lose consecutive games and you start to see what you thought was a given start to slip away, you know, it, it's, a, it's a negative moment, if you will, right? Yep. But in every adversity, there's a seed. There's a seed there of something positive, period. So it was having to go through the frustration of losing those three games. It had, it's like you had to feel that heat. You had to feel the fire to your feet. And it's like, okay, you guys, you lost one, whatever, whatever needed to be addressed. You didn't learn your lesson. You lost again. And now we're giving you the third chance and you lost again. It's like, listen, okay, one more and you're done. <laughs> it's like the universe was telling that. Like either you start showing up as your true selves, the people who you believe you are, and you start being that right now, or just go home. <laughs> and, and you know, super and interesting. Coach Coward, Coach Coward, he talked about it. You know, I remember he said he came in there and he was just like, "Listen, if we just win this game." And then we handle the next one and we win that one. We handle the next one and we just win one week, win one game every week. Instead of thinking about five, you just win one game. Then we'll be in the playoffs. And if we're in the playoffs, then we have a chance. And then we just keep doing what we're doing. And if we do that, and I know you can do it, 
then we will be the champions. Now, come on, let's go make history. Now, remember, he said, let's go make history. And once he said that, it, it, the buy-in was there. And it goes back to if you believe that, if that's what's going on up here, if that's the record that's playing, oh, it's going to be easy to dance the dance out here. Man, man, I tell you, you got me fired up. I want to go put on some pads. And I was just a punter, Chucky. So, like, I mean, I, I didn't even really do anything as far as hitting people. But now I feel like I want to go, you know, buy in and, and be a part of, you know, that team atmosphere again. Um, you know, I, I, I'm getting this feel, right? So we're starting to understand you and the mentality and the person coming up through high school, college, the pros. But football was that main pillar of identity, right? Like this is who you were. I'm really curious, you know, as you start to taper off of your professional football career, you, you wrap up with the Steelers, you have a couple other stops on the journey. What was it like transitioning to life after football? Did you find that those same mental techniques were helping you bridge that gap or did you feel like you fell off the cliff and you had to redefine yourself there? Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, say it fell, it fell off the cliff, but here's, here's what happens. It's, it's a very human experience, you know, in that football, it, it was a defining attribute to my existence for so long, especially, you know, I didn't, I started playing in high school and, you know, so from age 13, all the way to 29, 30, there was not a year that went by that this isn't what my life was kind of focused around. Yep. So what happens is when you lose that, now internally it's like, well, where am I going? Because I've been going somewhere this whole time. And now I know for a fact that wherever I was just going, uh, that's not where I'm going anymore. And so what happens when you when you identify, and, and that's what we do as human beings. We identify ourselves by what we constantly do. If I'm teaching people all the time, then I'm a teacher. If I'm singing song all the time, then I'm a singer. So I was playing football all the time, but now I'm not doing anything all the time. And so I have to determine where I'm going. And, and this was a dynamic that it's easy to explain now. But at the time when I was dealing with it, I didn't have the language to explain it the way I am now. I just knew that something didn't feel right. And for me, NLP and mindset work, that was all contextual at that point. It was a football thing, if you will. Like I didn't yep. really think about that in the moment. And, you know, I had a, a difficult decade afterwards, but, you know, where a lot of different things, you know, in my life kind of suffered. And, you know, it was like there were so many different issues, relationships, partnerships, uh, physical health, all these different things are going wrong. But see, there's one common denominator in each in each uh, in each context, and that's me. In the middle of it is me. So it can't be them. It can't be all of them. It's gotta be, there's gotta be something here. And I remember so start thinking back, what was something that really helped you create a shift to make you you know, give you the tools you needed to make things the way you want them to be. And so that's when I kind of revisited NLP and, you know, recognized that, you know, a lot of people finish playing football and they go into broadcasting or they go into coaching. You continue to, to kind of do what you used to do, but add value in a different way. That's what I'm doing because recognize the NLP is what helped me to be a leader at Purdue. To help me to get drafted, to help me to get to the Super Bowl. Now, where life was really difficult for about you know nine, ten years after NFL, and I had some things happen, you know, lost some people close to me at that point. It kind of woke me up and was like, I need to, you know, it's time. This is enough of the, the pain. I want, I want yep. to get back to feeling good again. What, what got me to to perform at my best, to think my best, to to feel my best, and it goes back to what I learned about taking control of this to get the results you want. Now, the results were different. It wasn't to win a football game. It wasn't sports performance. Now it's about, you know, finding my path and understanding that football doesn't define who I am. I played football. Football didn't play me. Mm. And so now, what else do you want to play? And That's... Then, uh... 
That's incredible, man. I got goosebumps over here. I mean, it is. And it's interesting, you know, early in the conversation, we talk about sort of compounding and those learned behaviors that we're able to learn through sport or where you had your identity. And I mean, it sounds like that decade just gave you hell. And I think that's true for a lot of athletes or, you know, take it even outside of athletes. A lot of people who just consume themselves in something for so long. Exactly. Um, exactly. What do you do? after that. And, and so, but it's really neat though, because it's like when you were down, you weren't all the way under, right? Because you knew that, Hey, I, I have something, a mechanism, a tool that I can start to transition into the life that I know it now and slowly, but surely start to rebuild that Jenga tower, which is, man, I think that's just an unbelievable, like it's almost tangible, the, the correlation there. I, I can see that. And so, and so you start building, Talk to me about what you're doing now, you know, with the keynote speaking and the actor. I mean, you've done so much. So so fill the listeners into Chucky after sport now. Well, what I do is I'm a mindset coach and a speaker and trainer. I work with corporations, executives, and some entrepreneurs. And what I do is I help people unlock their potential to be the best that they can be by aligning the mind and the heart in business. And that's in short, to make it even shorter than that, I teach people how to click three times like Dorothy. Make it simple, man. Give you the basic instructions so that you can experience whatever your full potential is, the same basic instructions that help me reach my full potential. And so essentially what I do is I work with individuals and I speak about how to become empowered. And when you talk about empowerment, it's a word in personal development that's thrown around a lot nowadays. It is it's a feeling. It's a feeling, a sense of control over your existence and your results. That's all empowerment is. So you know, I work with leaders who are able to influence more people, inspire, motivate, and get productivity out of their team. And a lot of the things that I've learned through sports, through the coaches I've had, from my high school coach, Dave Karate, to, you know, playing for, you know, being recruited by Jim Coletto, playing for Joe Tiller, Bill Cowher, is this is how you lead, is from here. The mind commands, the body obeys. And sometimes, you know, in sports, it's easy to see that correlation. But in business, the mind commands and the body obeys. Sometimes it's not about running faster or hitting harder. Sometimes it's about communicating. Communication, speaking is an action, too. It's something yeah. that you do with your body. Your mouthpiece is part of your body. The mind commands, the body obeys. And so... It's a lot about how to become empowered in your marriage, how to become empowered in your health and fitness, how to become empowered within your department, how to become empowered so that I can take feel a sense of control over my journey to you know, climb the corporate ladder. And so that's that's what I'm doing now is, is basic instruction in, in helping people to do what I did, get your specific desired result by using your mind aligning the mind and heart. That's what I do. I got to tell you, I, uh, as I've gone through my journey, I think success is a really interesting thing when we start to define it. Um, and I realized, you know, throughout that a lot of it was done in a reactionary state. And so, you know, one of the mantras that I'm living by is you know, I want to get to a place where I can reach one and teach one. Right. And so the more successful I become, the more bandwidth I have here, the more perspective I get from folks like yourself, ultimately prepares me to be at a place where you can go back downstream and get everybody just rowing in the same direction, which I think is what we need at a time in 2020, right? Where we're at right now as not just a race, not just a society, as a species, we're at a really interesting crossroads. And so I'm asking you this question. Um, we're going to be launching a subsequent series called Check In. So we'll be able to see how close you are to it. But where do you see things going over the next 12 to 18 months? Um, more optimistic lens? Are we in for the long haul? What, what are your thoughts, some high level thoughts there for us? Well, I think what it comes down to is understanding the way that we all as human beings work. I don't care 
what you believe, what sides you're on, what red, blue, I did none of that matters. This is yep. the way the human mind works. We are we have two two levels to our thinking. You have what I call a human mind or your conscious logical thinking, or the animal mind, which is your emotions and your instincts. And you ever hear the saying like we only use 10% of our brain power as humans? It's yep. not true. We use hundred percent. The thing is, it's the it's a 90-10 split. And the 10% is what you think, your logic, but 90%, the unconscious mind, the subconscious mind, is 90%. And just like Coach Coward said, it's what you don't know that you don't know that's running the show. So here's mm. so here's where we go. Is whenever the animal mind starts to take over, this is where the emotions come up. You start thinking about the future and you have a feeling about it. Then you start to tell a story about what you think the future is going to be. But here's the thing. That story is coming through the filter of whatever emotions up. So if I feel angry or I feel afraid, then the story in my mind is going to be consistent with that feeling. And so I start telling a story about the future, about how it's going to be negative. And then that story makes me feel more negativity. So I still get more. So I tell more. So I tell the story some more and I feel worse. And I tell the story some more and I feel worse. And the thing is, whatever story I'm telling myself in the moment is going to dictate my behavior and my actions in the moment. And those actions in the moment are what's going to dictate what happens in the future. And so if I'm feeling this way now, what can I anticipate from this action? This, Almost it's, it's, it's the same. Whatever story I'm telling myself is good, bad, or it's going to happen. So what we need to do as a society is start to take control. Stop looking at the, stop listening to the story and believing what they're telling you. Open your eyes. Examine what's going on and then tell yourself an empowering positive story about it. So whatever's happening in this moment should lead us somewhere positive. If it's negative right now, the world is kind. If it's negative now, well, then things are going to get better. That mm. positive seed is going to germinate and grow. It's, that, that it's, it's, it's got to it's gotta be there. Now, exactly what that looks like, I don't know. It would be speculation on my part. Yeah. But I know that all everything's happening the way it's supposed to. And you know, it may not feel that way right now, but adversity, pain is the teacher of the mind. So the, the difficulties right now, if you if it didn't hurt, you would never learn. I mean, think about a little kid whose favorite color is blue, and they walk past the stove and they see that blue flame and they're like, oh, that's so cool. And they, let me see that. If and and they don't and, and they don't feel it, but their skin is burning off. If yeah. this doesn't hurt now, how will I learn not to do it in the future? That's what we're living right now. That's well that's, said. That's that's why things feel the way they do now. Is because whatever we need to learn, that's what we need to focus on. Is continue to search for the why. What is what is positive going to come up? What, where is the, what is the seed going to grow into? Is it going to be weeds or is it going to be a peach tree that we can eat fruit off of? And that's the decision that we got to make for ourselves as individuals. And if we continue to make those decisions for ourselves as individuals, then these individuals make up the community, make up the whole. And so we'll be all right. I think everything's going to be good in the future. I just don't know exactly how. I love it. And reprogramming, that's okay, right? We're, we have a narrative, but this thing is evolving. The world is evolving. So embrace the change, embrace the evolution, take control of it. And, and the world sort of becomes your oyster there. Uh, it's how I've been living my life. And Chucky, it's no coincidence that you uh, have ended up here on this show telling your story. So so as we wind down, this has been an incredible abbreviated journey. I feel like we could have talked for hours um, just picking apart each, you know, each segment of it. Uh, but I'm curious one thing on the personal side. Uh, so this is something we've been asking all of our guests. But if you could share one thing that you've done in your life, that you would recommend the listeners do or experience in theirs, 
what would that be and why? Hmm. Something that I've experienced that other people should should experience in their own life. Yes, sir. Well, I say win the Super Bowl, but that's not something. <laughs> you know, um, the biggest thing everyone needs to experience is adopting the attitude, belief, and discipline of forgiving. It's the, it's the most powerful, most powerful thing you could do. It's, it's powerful, man, because, you know, when we don't let go, when somebody we believe has wronged us or a situation happened that we believe is not fair, and we continue to tell that same story in the present about something that happened in the past, that's the thing is that animal mind can't tell the difference, it can't tell time. So when you keep telling the story, you're actually feeling the pain right now. But if you forgive them and let it go, if you, you know, I mean, there's situations where in sports you get cut, you pissed off about contracts, if you let it go, then you can feel light and free and really turn your focus on to, okay, now that that's done, I've completed that. However, it went down. If it doesn't feel good now, hmm, what am I learning from this? If I forgive them, then when I think of the story of what happened, all I remember is the lesson. All I remember is the lesson. Drop the mic, Chucky. I mean, that is, I, I think that is uh, the through line of forgiveness, right? We're all humans. Shit happens. We have to be able to forgive, but that starts with ourselves, right? So we have to look that man or woman in the mirror, like Michael Jackson said, mm -hmm. and it starts here and then, and then it permeates out. Uh, Chucky, this has been an unbelievable hour now that we're almost at. Um, I want all the listeners to be able to go ahead and, and drink the Kool-Aid and learn and, and figure out a way for you to stay in their life. Where can they find you on social or if they're interested on in basic instructions, how can they get in touch with you? Uh, basicinstructions.com is the website and I mean LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, just put my name in, Chuck Yukobi Basic Instructions, and I'm there. Wherever you are, I'm there with the exception of some of these new things that the kids are doing, but base Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, basicinstructions.com. Amazing. Well, uh, well, from Scott, check, checkpoint. Chucky, thank you so much for coming on. Just the first of many conversations, but I can promise you that the world is going to be not just 1%, but millions of percents better because of the work that you're doing from all that unique per perspective that you've accrued through your journey. So thank you for doing what you do. And until next time, listeners, be sure to check yourself. Chucky, thank you again for coming on.